Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask for your leading as we look at this topic that we're going to cover, and we thank you for all you've done and all you care for. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. Then said he to the disciples, It is impossible but that the offense will come, but woe to him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck and he be cast into the sea than that he should defend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If, a, if your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he re repents, forgive him. And if he trespasses against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day he turns again and says, I repent, then shall for, that you shall forgive him. So we're going to look at this. Uh, there's two portions here that we're going to kind of look at. But this is all about forgiveness. And we want to look at this whole idea, and it's been something I've commented at the movies. Uh, we had 13 movies. About six or seven of them were about forgiveness. Now, I don't know why God has put that on, because that was not planned. But obviously, God has got it on, on the heart, at least for our church, that we need to be looking at forgiveness. And I don't know why, I don't know how come, <laughs> because I don't think it's been that big a problem, but obviously there's a bigger problem than I, than I can see. So we're going to be looking at this, and first he says, it is impossible, but that the offense will come. Now this word for impossible means it is indefensible, <laughs> all right? Uh, it is unavailable. So God is saying it's not supposed to happen. Now this is kind of interesting. When God created this world, he created a perfect world. Nothing about what we live in on a day-to-day -day basis pretty much is what is supposed to be going on. We live in a world that has fallen and cursed because of man's fall. We have violent weather, we have famines, we have pains, we have people doing wrong things, and this was not the way that God created it. And, but he says here that offenses will come. And this word for offenses literally in the Greek is the uh, trigger for a trap. Satan is setting up all kinds of triggers for traps. We also put in front of ourselves plenty of triggers for traps. And there are others who try to trap us as well. So we have all kinds of traps out there. We need to be on our guard constantly. Now, and, I, and when I talk about Satan setting up traps, most of us are not going to deal with Satan, but we do deal with the demonic world, especially if we're serving God. The more we desire to serve God, the more we will face the enemy and his attacks. Now, if you are just a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to have face any attacks at all because he doesn't care. He's not going to make your life difficult because he does not want you to turn to God. Now, God will make your life difficult if you're not, not his. But Satan is going to say, well, I'm just going to let that person float along. We're, going to, we're not going to make their life miserable. We're not going to make things hard for them. But once you get saved, if you're, if you're saved and all you want to do is sit in a pew and come to church Sunday morning, and that's your, the extent of what you do in church, you're probably not going to have many problems from Satan either. You're not a threat to his kingdom. But this is something I warn everybody and I have for many decades. You decide you want to teach Sunday school, you want to teach children, you want to, you want to serve in the church in any way, shape, or form, get ready. <laughs> Satan is going to make you a target. And, you know, I don't do it to scare people. I give them so that their guard is up and they are warned. Satan does not like us serving God because he knows that if we serve God, others will come to the kingdom. 
And so he will try to stop. And the more you desire to serve God, the more he will try to stop you. Now, the good news in all of that is very simple. He's outnumbered. He only took one-third of the angels. For every, every fallen angel, there are two good angels. So he's outnumbered. And even beyond that, God is the creator. You know, this is something we need to be very careful of. The world kind of thinks of we've got God, and you've got his alter ego, Satan, is just as strong as God. Satan is not as strong as God. He is a created being and is on a chain. He has to ask God's permission to do anything against God's creation. Now, sometimes we wish God, you, you could make that chain just a little shorter, please. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you're giving him an awful lot of room here. God knows what he's doing. But always remember that Satan is on a chain. He can only do what he has asked permission for and what God has granted. And like I say, I, I agree with most of you. Sometimes I look at God and go, God, could you shorten that chain just a little bit? It's getting a little, little ridiculous, but I also know that God knows what he's doing and he has a plan. But he, and so Jesus is saying here that these offenses will come and he says in the second part of that, woe to them that bring that, bring that offense. Now we see this over and over. When the Israelite people in Judah rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and God took them into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar came and, and conquered them. He mistreated them. And what did God tell Nebuchadnezzar? Because of how brutal you were in disciplining my people, you were going to be disciplined. And he lost, he lost his kingdom. We see it over and over in the scriptures where God says, I've used this person to bring discipline, but they did too much, and therefore they will be disciplined themselves. So, and in this one it says that, and this is not the only place where it says this, that they should have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. Now, if you've ever seen a millstone, that's the great big rock that runs along another rock and crushes the wheat. And he says, take that I don't know how much they are, a thousand pound stone, put it around your neck and then be thrown into the sea. I don't care how good a swimmer you are, you're not swimming with, uh, with that much rock on your, <laughs> around your neck. All right? uh, I wouldn't want to try to swim with two or three hundred pounds around my neck. Much less that, you are going to sink to the bottom and die, in his, and that's his point. This is such a serious thing. And when he says little ones, most of us will think back when he, said, when he was holding the child and said this little one, but this word for little one, is anybody younger, anybody of less status. Now this is something that happens when people get a pharisaical attitude in their life and they start judging other people in the church that haven't grown as much as they have, at least in their own mind. You know, how many times do we do that ourselves sometimes? Wow, what is taking this person, you know, this person's been saved for so long, now why are they still doing, fill in whatever you're judging them for? How come they cannot be as, as grown up as I am? We need to be careful with that. It is, it is a very dangerous place to go, besides the fact that when we say that, we're saying we're perfect, there's no place that I need to grow in. You know, uh, so we need to be very careful with that attitude because they're probably looking at us and saying, well, why haven't they grown up in that area? You know, they're looking at you and saying, well, why haven't you grown up in that area? We need to be very careful. This is where grace is so important in our relationships one another, with one another. We all grow at different rates and in different ways. And if we're starting to point our fingers, judging one another, we're going to have a very hard time in church. 
because everybody is not going to be as perfect as me. Now, I'm joking, of course. And I know I've got plenty of problems. My wife knows that very well. I have plenty of problems. And you all know that. You know me very well for, you know, for these years. You know that I have plenty of problems. We cannot be judging one another. Because what are we saying? I, I'm the standard of perfection. You've got to live up to my standard. Now, well, who should we be judging ourselves to? We better be judging ourselves to Jesus, knowing that we're never going to reach his standard. But if we're looking at him, we're not going to be judging everybody else. What are we going to be doing there? We're going to encourage one another. We're going to build each other up. And this is what we're told over and over again. Exhort one another. Build each other up. Encourage one another. When we get together as a church, it should be a time of wonderful time where you're coming together and being loved. And I think for the most part in this church, we do a pretty good job of loving one another and not, not criticizing one another. And, you know, but I have been in certain churches where you've know, you got people out there criticizing everybody. And you, you, know, you kind of learn who not to be around in those churches. You're going, ah, uh, nope, here they come. I'm going this way. <laughs> I don't need to hear what they're going to say. But it's very important for us. How are we going to be able to deal with this? We cannot put offenses in people's ways and traps in front of people. Well, because you're not doing as good as I'm doing, there's something wrong with you. That's a dangerous thing to be saying because God's going to, number one, going to show you that you're not as good as you think you are. But it also puts a stumbling block in front of somebody else who's going, well, I thought I was doing pretty good. I thought I was growing. I love looking around the church and seeing how much people are growing, how, how much they have changed in various aspects of their life. Are, are they perfect? Well, I'm not perfect, so I don't expect anybody else in this church to be perfect. I expect to see growth. I expect to see people following God. And I love it when that happens. This is why we teach the God's word as much as we do. This is why we encourage people to read the Bible. This is why we encourage people to be good students of the Bible, to go in and actually go through the Bible and examine what does it say. He goes on to go into this. He says, take heed to yourselves. Now, this is kind of an interesting word. How many times do we go through our life not paying any attention to what we're doing? Now, it's kind of amazing how fast we get into doing things. I like taking the example of driving a car. I barely remember, you know, four decades ago, five decades ago when I was learning to drive a car and how, how difficult it was, but I have taught a lot of people how to drive a car. Uh, and think about this. When you first drive a car, you're teaching somebody to drive a car. Everything is really slow. They're thinking about everything. They're getting in the car, remembering to strap on their seatbelt, uh, trying to turn the key to the car, trying to find where the, where the gear shift, especially back in the days when we had manual, uh, manual, manual systems. You had to push the clutch and, and, and actually shift instead of just point and drive your car. Uh, you know, and you're driving down, and you know, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who said he's, his teenage son is learning to drive and he's driving down these two-lane roads hugging the center of the line because he's afraid of the edge of the road. <laughs> you know, uh, we all remember those days. How many times do we, now, nowadays, you know, after 50 plus years of being in the, in the driver's seat, I just jump in my car and drive. I hardly even think about what I'm doing. Dangerous thing, though, in our spiritual life to just get into our day-to-day -day routine and move forward without thinking about it. Jesus said, take heed to yourself. Guard your emotions. Guard what you're doing. Think about what it is that you're doing. 
you know, and I can be the first one to admit, I'm a very organized, very scheduled person. Not as bad as I used to be in my 30s or 40s. If you asked me what I was going to do five months from now, I'd be able to tell you what I'd be doing on any particular day five months in advance because I had a schedule in my life. And heaven help anybody who tried to mess up my schedule. I'm getting better. I'm still pretty, pretty tight on a schedule, but I'm not quite as dedicated to keeping my schedule. Uh, I am a very on-time person, which everybody knows. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we need to be careful. Take heed, attend to what we're doing, and do not ignore what's going on. Because he said people are going to trespass against you. Now, this is kind of an interesting word because the word for trespass is literally sin. Missed the mark. And it's very interesting because the Bible teaches us that the only one that can be sinned against is God. You know, and we need to be under, able to understand that. We get upset when people don't do what we want them to do. Often. It's real easy. I know, I, believe me, I understand that one real well. Now, I understand what it is when people don't do what I want them to do. Now, is that a sin? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on what my expectations is, how close my expectations are to the Word of God. I have found that if I get upset about it, it usually is because I have the problem, not that they have a problem. Now, and this is something we need to be very much aware of. The word that God, that Jesus uses in there is sin. And David said in Psalm 54, against you and you only, God, have I sinned. And what was he referring to? His adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. Now that sounds like he has sinned against uh, Bathsheba, Uriah, and Uriah's whole family. But he said to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Sins are actually only against God. And this is the word that Jesus uses here. So what is he saying? Actually, there's nothing that they've done against me. It's my attitude that is ir irritated by them. All right? Now, could it be right or wrong? It's possible. He says, if it is, rebuke them, correct them. Most of us get mad at somebody. How often do we rebuke them and try to correct them? We just stay mad at them. And after a while, they don't even know why we're mad at them. And maybe we don't even know why we're mad at them after a while because we've just stayed mad and we didn't try to correct the situation. One of the things I had to learn as a manager is you corrected the situation rather than let it get worse. And in our family lives, in our relationship with people, we should correct it. What you did there really bothered me, and this is why, and let it try to be corrected. You know, uh, most of us are afraid of interpersonal confrontation. Plain and simple. Why? It might make that, we think it might make matters worse. What I have learned over the years, it usually doesn't make matters worse, and if it's going to make matters worse, it wasn't going to be salvageable anyway. So we want to be able to gently rebuke somebody. That doesn't mean go off the handle. <laughs> You know, and this is something, this is what the problem is a lot of people have is, and why do they go off the handle is usually because they let the problem fester in their, in their heart before they decide to correct it. Instead of correcting it within like 24 hours, they, let, they decide to try to fix it three months from now after the person's done it five, five dozen times. And then you'll hear them say, well, you're doing this just to hurt me. 
well, I didn't, know, I didn't even know you were being bothered by what I was doing. Now, have you got anybody, don't raise hands, but have you got anybody in your mind that just bugs you because they keep doing the same exact thing to you all the time? Have you ever mentioned to them that what they're doing is bothering you? Now, you might have. There are people that just want to get under your skin. I understand that. But a lot of times, they don't know that what they're doing is bothering you. This is why Jesus said, rebuke, correct. And then he did the thing that is so hard for us. He said, if they repent, which means they say, I've changed my mind, I've turned around, he says, forgive. How hard is it to forgive people? Now, uh, and the word forgive is literally to let go or give up the debt. All right? Most of our... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have these things in there, and God says, you are to forgive. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to forget because it is impossible to truly forget. But do you know you can practically forget? We have the, the flyer on, the, on it. I almost should have printed it back out to bring out. But one of the things that why do we remember the problems in our life is because we rehearse them over and over and over again in our mind. Boy, that person, this is what they did. I just can't forget it. Well, you know, what? this is what they did. I just can't forget what they did. Well, quit rehearsing it and you probably would forget. It would be like me asking you, what did you eat last Wednesday for dinner? Now, unless you're one of those people that are so scheduled that you know what you have every single Wednesday, you probably don't know what you had Wednesday night for dinner and it was only four days ago. Unless it was some special event that you did. Why? Because you don't rehearse it. I don't think every day, what did I have for dinner Wednesday? And maybe I had my favorite dinner. Maybe I would remember it was my favorite. You know, they made my favorite meal. I might remember what I had. But in general, we don't remember things that we do not rehearse. This is what's important about forgiveness. We do not keep it in the forefront of our mind. For many of us, the problem is we see that person go, yep, this is what they did last week. I'm really still mad at it. I'm really steamed about this. God, I've forgiven them. Well, quit repeating it then. Let go of the debt. Let go of it. Because what does God say when he forgives? He says he separates our sin from him as far as the east is from the west. He casts it into the deepest sea. What's he saying? The God of the universe says, I am going to forgive and I'm going to put it in a place where I do not remember it anymore. And yet we as human beings go, well, God, you know, you may be able to forgive, but I can't. God, I have a higher standard than you do. You can forgive and not, and not bring it up anymore, but God, I'm just, my standards are so much higher. I've got a, I got a higher standard than you. Now, it sounds silly when we say it that way, but isn't that really what we're saying when we're going, God, I just will not forget what they did. I am not going to forgive them. What did Jesus use in the parable? He said that the king forgave a man of a debt that he could never pay back. 10,000 talents. You know, 10,000 days wages. Now, how somebody got in debt with the king that much, I have no idea, but he gave him a forgiveness of it. And he went out and found somebody that Joe owed him just a couple days wages and had him thrown into prison. And what did he say? He said, I forgave you the debt. Why could you not have forgiven? God expects us to forgive each other. 
And people will go, well, they didn't ask for forgiveness. You know what? That is a probably valid from the world's point of view. If they didn't ask, they don't deserve it. This verse kind of says the same thing. If they don't, ask, you know, they don't repent, they don't, you don't have to forgive them. But other places he says forgive. Why should we forgive whether they ask for it or not? It's a very simple thing. Unforgiveness is a prison that we place ourselves in. It really is. If you've ever had somebody that you do not forgive, how do you feel when they get anywhere near you? How do you feel when you think about them? They don't even have to be around you. You think about them. And it doesn't matter who it might be. You know, a best friend who betrayed you, an enemy who always got under your skin. Maybe it was a father or mother that abused you and, you're, and you, every time you think about them, you still have unforgiveness. They didn't treat you the way you expected and you still have not for, forgiven them. And have you ever come to the place, maybe you go to a psychologist and say, well, you need to go and ask that person for forgiveness. And you go and do what they say. You ask, oh, I would like to ask your forgiveness for the way I've been treating you about this event. And they're going, what are you talking about? The person that you're angry and unforgiving toward usually has no clue that you're not, that you're not being very, very friendly to them or that you're angry at them. Why? Because we never went back and we never corrected it. We never asked for, asked for it. They never knew. You know, have you ever had somebody come to you and say, would you forgive me because I, you know, I've been mad at you for doing such and such? And you're going, I don't remember doing that, but okay. I've had that happen. People have gone, and I know I'm a... I'm a hard person to get along with. I, I, I'm easy to do things that will make people mad at me if they don't tell me what, they, what I've done. And I don't do it on purpose usually. But I'll go along thinking I, nothing's wrong and all of a sudden I go, you know, I forgive you for doing that. I'm going, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did what it, whatever it was and I usually don't remember, especially if it's been a, you know, longer than a, a couple of weeks. Unforgiveness is a prison that binds us and keeps us from being able to serve. And this is something we need to understand. In Colossians 3.13, we are to forgive as Christ forgives. Now, that's quite a standard. How does Christ forgive? He went to the cross and died for our sins while we were his enemy. He did not wait for us to ask for forgiveness. He did not wait for us to want forgiveness. He died for our sins. We need to learn to forgive one, one another. If you have anybody that you have unforgiveness in your heart for, please Forgive them in your heart. Even if, you, even if you don't go to them, which would still be better if you have the opportunity, go and forgive. But just forgive them. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 says the same thing, that we're to forgive one another as God has forgiven us. Now, this is the beauty of what is out there. God forgives sin. On the cross, Jesus' last word was telestai. It is finished. It's translated in English. It literally should be, it is paid in full. That word is what they would put at the bottom of a bill when you finally paid the bill off. Paid in full. There is no debt owed. This is something that's very important for us. When we look at this, there is only one sin that will send people to hell. And that is rejecting Jesus Christ. He paid the debt for our sins, and if we reject that gift, we will go to hell. Because he paid for sin. He has forgiven every sin but that one sin of rejecting him. We need to be very careful about how we deal with one another. What standard do we hold other people to? 
well, you're not perfect. You made me mad. So I'm not going to forgive you. We would need to be very careful about that. God is perfect, and he's not holding us accountable for our imperfections. We need to be careful that we're living with a forgiving heart. And, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know of anybody that, I'm, you know, this is valid for, but we just need to. Then he goes on and makes it even harder. It's hard enough just to forgive a person one time. Then he says, if they do the same thing seven times in one day, and they keep saying, I'm sorry, I repent. He says to forgive them. Now, it's hard enough to forgive them one time. Now this person seems to be honestly trying to get under your skin. They've done it seven times in a day. And he says, forgive them. I think the answer to what he's telling us is, just live in a heart of forgiveness. Live with the desire of forgiveness. Because one thing we see over and over again is if I do not live with forgiveness, I imprison myself. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Now that forgiveness is not a salvation forgiveness. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get to go to heaven. But how many times have you been walking in known sin that you won't confess, and what ends up happening? Well, you probably don't want to walk through the doors to the church. You probably aren't picking up your Bible very often and reading it at home. You're probably not spending much time on your knees in prayer. What did David do after, his, after the murder of Uriah? If you look very careful at this, he did not worship God. For the entire nine months of her pregnancy in the first year, for almost two years, David did not worship God because of the guilt he felt about his sin. And this is when Nathan came to him and gave him his story and got his attention and said, you are the man. And he repented and came back into fellowship. We place ourselves in a prison without seeking forgiveness, without having a forgiving <coughs> desire. And it's not a prison that we're even supposed to be in. It, you know, I work at the prison. It would be like somebody showing up at the main gate and say, hey, put me, in, put me behind bars for a few days or a few, few years, whatever. I just want to go to prison for now. You know, kind of a stupid idea. Nobody comes to that gate wanting in. They all want to come to go, going out. Nobody ever comes in saying, I, I want to voluntarily put myself in this prison for a while. But yet, we put ourselves in prison of unforgiveness and un, unbelief with God a lot. We need to get out of those prisons. We need to take and say, God, I have done wrong. Please forgive. Help me get through all of this because this is what it is. Um, it's not against our salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved. You may be out of fellowship with God, and if we're out of fellowship with God, it's our fault. God did not run away from us. He didn't look at us and, oh, no, look at that person. They're, they've got sin on them. I've got to run away. It's us looking at a holy, righteous God and saying, my sin nature cannot be in, that, in his presence, and we run away from the light. God's standing there like, uh, over here, Come on over here. I want to have fellowship. And we're going, uh-uh. I, I, I'll be held accountable if I come into your presence because I'll know how sinful I am. If I'm over here in the dark, I won't see my sin. I don't want to be in the light and see my sin. And yet God is saying, come on over. Confess your sin. 
So we need to be able to look at this whole issue of forgiveness. And again, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. If this is hitting you, I'm not. I'm not. You know, saying it's for you, but it's got to be for somebody because God has put all kinds of things about forgiveness and in, in, in the path these last these last uh, couple months. We need to learn forgiveness. We need to walk in forgiveness for ourselves toward God, and toward others, for our relationship. Maybe it's for our spouses. Who knows? I don't know what it is, but we need to learn to walk in the forgiveness of God's. His ways are different from our ways. We, we will look at it and say, well, if I punish them, I'm mad at them long enough, maybe they'll get the message and, and, and repent. doesn't work that way. God says, forgive. Forgive. Let it go. Ultimately, uh, the problem is that we don't trust God to be our defender. Uh, it's very effective, and I've learned this hard way over the years because there's times when I have not let God be my defender, but I have learned more often than not, if I let God be my defender, it scares me what he's done to people to defend me at times. I'm going, God, uh, I did not expect that person to have family members die and lose their business and everything. That, that's a little extreme, isn't it? Yes, God, I wanted you to defend me, but that might be a little extreme, but God knows what it takes. God knows what it takes to get our kids' attention. He knows what it takes to get our attention. How many times does he have to shake up our life to get our attention? Now, I've been there. I've been there a lot. And having my life shaken up and saying, okay, are you ready to do things my way yet? And being stubborn. I have a big stubborn streak in my life. And, you know, and many of you do as well, I'm sure. Saying, God, I'm just not going to do things your way. I'm going to do it my way. And I love, I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean out into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And yet, how many times do I not trust in the Lord? God, I'm going to do things my way. My way works. I know my whole life's falling apart doing it my way, but I'm going to keep doing it my way. God, you, you, you have a better way? I'm going to keep trying to do it my way. Uh, God, you have a better way. I'm going to keep doing it my way. And then finally, we surrender and see what God can do. And it's amazing how fast your life turns around when you finally give up your way you know, or my way. <laughs> so we want to look at this and encourage what's going on with, with each person. We're going to close here. Lord, we ask you to just be with us. Lord, if there's anybody listening here or on the on, online that needs to know you, we ask that today they will admit, Lord, I'm a sinner. I accept your gift of salvation. Come into my life and be my savior. And Lord, for anybody who's listening that needs to forgive, we ask you to put it heavily on their heart to go out and forgive. Actual forgiveness for those they can and just to repent and forgive if they're, if they're not able to. But Lord, teach us to walk in a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of love one for another. And we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life 
we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.